And God has really gone before us today. I said to Judith and Brian during worship that actually a lot of what we've been praying about and been challenged by God so far, actually we get to land in, in the message today. And that's a really exciting place to be as a church, isn't it? Yes. Knowing that we're hearing what God wants us to hear. And I think it's an especial challenge for us to listen and to do as well. So that's what I'm hoping to do, and I'm hoping that you will do that as well today. Today we are really wanting to look at the subject of who we are. Who are you? When you get right down to it, who are you? Who am I? Well, I'm a human being. I'm a citizen of planet Earth. Um, I'm an Anglian with maybe a little bit of Saxon and Viking thrown in. I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm British. I'm European. I'm male. I'm an employee. I'm a scientist. I'm a writer and a speaker. I'm an elder, I'm a cook, and a musician. I'm a dog person, rather than a cat person. My name is Matt, Matthew, Matty, Mbop, don't ask about that one. Mongoose, that's because of my prowess on a BMX. I don't get called that very often now. I'm Uncle Matt. Mr. Dent, Dr. Dent, Sir, Bro, Cuz, Dad, Daddy, Daddy-O, Daddy-O-Do, and Pops. Very inventive family. I'm different things to different people. And there are lots of different aspects to my identity. And I'm sure that there are lots of different aspects to your identity as well. And lots of different names that you go by. But when you get right down to it, which of these is most important? Which is most important for you? What defines me? Who am I? Who are you? Gosh, sounds like we're having a bit of an existential crisis. We've got a, a chap on the screen who's having an existential crisis as well. Not that man, this one. Poor little tomato isn't sure who he is either. But the Bible tells us not that a tomato is a fruit, but the Bible tells us that what defines us is our relationship with God. Yes. We're made in his image. Genesis 1:27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're going to machine gun through a few scriptures now because this subject of identity and understanding who we are is so important for us. As followers of Jesus, we were chosen by him to be set apart and to be uniquely his. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, For you are a chosen people, your royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So if you follow Jesus, God has chosen you to be set apart, to be different. 
He's called you out of darkness and into light. And more than that, he's called you out of death and into life. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. What an amazing scripture. So what really defines those of us who've put our faith in Jesus isn't our race, isn't our gender, our occupation, our education, marital status, sexual preference, country of origin. It's that we are children of God. And we've been talking about that a lot today, haven't we? 1 John 3 verses 1 to 2 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. I do wonder how easy it is for us to think of God as Father in almost quite an abstract way. But when you turn that around and, and say, well, if God is our Father, if God is my Father, that must mean I'm his child. <clears throat> and actually, I think that adds a whole new dimension. He calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. So if you're a Christian, being a child of God is first and foremost who you are. And I really felt today that God wanted to get that from head knowledge right into our hearts. And he's been really laying the groundwork with that for us today. I've got a little book here. I've shown you this book before, or at least I've referred to it. It's a little pocket diary from 1976. Lots of things happened in 1976. Lots of things. And I rescued this diary when I was clearing out my father's garage. I can learn a lot about my father from this pocket diary. I can learn a lot of things that happened in 1976. I can learn when he was on duty in the lunch hall, he was a teacher. I can learn that he's got a real fixation with the mileage of his car and when he filled it up. <laughs> and if I turn to February the 25th, 1976, I can read Matthew Bourne, 7.14 a.m., eight pounds. Of all the things that happened in 1976, that was really important to my father. This book speaks of a father who loves, a father who cares, a father who, amongst everything else that was happening in 1976, felt that that event was significant. I'm just going to read you Psalm 139, verse 16 as well. This isn't on the slides. This is a late edition. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out. 
before a single day had passed. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. You're a child. You're a child unconditionally loved by your father. And your father created and sustains the universe. You are significant to him. So significant that he writes down all your details in his little book. And not just that, your significance is in him. You know, some people think there isn't really a great deal of difference between being a follower of Jesus and not being a follower of Jesus. That being a Christian is maybe something that you do alongside everything else in your life. It might mean you go to church occasionally. It might mean you try to be a bit nicer. Maybe that you're a bit self-righteous. But as we've just seen, that's not the case. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible uses really stark language when it talks about the transformation that happens when someone puts their trust in God's saving grace and in Jesus' work on the cross. We read about moving from death to life. We read about moving from darkness to light, about being a new creation in Christ Jesus. We read about being adopted into God's family, which fundamentally changes our identity. You know, some people think there isn't a great deal of difference between me and Prince William. Quite similar when you think about it. Both born in the same country, both went to university and found a Catherine to marry, Both have three children. I did have to check that this morning. I'm not a particular royal watcher. But to be honest, that's where the similarity ends, isn't it? And that's where the similarity ends because of who his father is. His father is, of course, Prince Charles, heir to the throne, which means he is heir to the throne. His position is fundamentally different to mine because of who his father is, even though there are a lot of similarities between us. So being a Christian, making that decision to acknowledge that Jesus is your saviour and your Lord, acknowledging that God is your father, isn't just one aspect of who we are. It actually defines who we are. We're God's children instead of children of this world. It affects everything about us. It affects our priorities. Where once we may have been focused only on things of this world, our career, our bank balance, our family, our comfort, now we see those things for what they are. Good, maybe, but transient where we once may have focused on our standing before others and our reputation, now we see that what God thinks of us, which doesn't change according to his mood or our performance, is what's important. And because our priorities are different, of course how we behave is different too. We might make some choices that seem crazy in the eyes of the world, 
but make perfect sense to a child of God. If you've not yet put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I'm sorry to say that these promises aren't yet true of you. But they could be if you put your trust in him. Jesus died for you so you could know fullness and completeness in him, so that you can go home to him. It's what you were designed for. And these promises can so easily apply to you. Not because you or I are good enough to earn God's favour, but because by his grace he invites everyone to be adopted members of his family. So if you're not sure if you're part of God's family today, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. Please come and grab me. Come and grab Judith or Brian or Richard or Ginny. We would love to talk with you and pray with you because this is an open invitation for all. So today, as I said, we're going to unpack a little bit of how children of God relate to the world in which we live. Our main passage today is from John 15, verses 18 to 27. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they'd listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they wouldn't be guilty. But as it is, they've seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words that you spoke. Thank you that in your darkest hour you were giving instruction and encouragement to your children. And Lord, I pray we would receive that instruction and that encouragement today. Amen. In a way that is going to help those that are around us and in a way that is going to bring glory to God. So how should we apply these words of Jesus to our world today? Let's focus in on this statement that Jesus makes. You are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. Have you seen the BBC wildlife series, Spy in the Wild? Anybody seen that? Yeah. 
It's absolutely hilarious. I mean, I think it misses the point of being a wildlife series because they spend more time filming the cameras than they do showing the animals. Because basically what they do is they dress up cameras as animals. So this is a camera dressed up as an orangutan. Um, and these are animatronic creatures, basically, that they put in the wild. There's a gorilla, baby gorilla with a little camera in its eye. And I think it might have just been rumbled, I'm not sure, but that big gorilla is looking a little bit suspicious. Um, I have to admit, the orangutan there looks quite convincing. By the time they're in their environment and they're trying to interact with these other animals, they don't necessarily look that convincing. They look a little bit like maybe they've got multiple fractures and and they're heavily sedated. That's the sort of way they move. Or maybe like something out of the Night of the Living Dead as they sort of amble forwards. I'm surprised that the other animals don't run screaming. But they make orangutans, bush babies, gorillas, tortoises, and koalas. And they look, they do look, I have to say, to varying degrees like the animals that they're supposed to represent. But they're not. They're completely different. You see, these animatronic creatures have a completely different role to play in their environment than the creatures around them, which is maybe a little bit tenuous, but that's a little bit like us and the world. We're here for a different reason. We're different to those around us. And because of that, just like that big gorilla there, the world is going to treat us differently. Jesus' words in this passage seem quite strong, don't they? If the world hates you. Some versions say when the world hates you. Is Jesus being a little bit melodramatic, maybe? I don't think so when we remember the context of this passage. This is Jesus talking to his disciples just before his arrest. The world really did hate Jesus to the extent that he was killed simply because of who he was. So I don't think Jesus was speaking for dramatic effect. He meant every word. And back in Jesus' day, of course, a lot of the hatred that he experienced, a lot of the persecution that he and his disciples experienced was from the religious leaders who thought that Jesus was being blasphemous by claiming to be the Son of God. And also wanted to get rid of Jesus because, quite frankly, he made them look bad. Now, in our culture, Jesus' claims to be God are maybe more likely to be met with ridicule rather than offence. And in many cases, the world is maybe more likely to treat Christians with pity because we seem so misguided or maybe as a curiosity to be tolerated. But what is still universally offensive, even today, is Jesus' claim that he was the only way to God and the only way to heaven. That sort of claim doesn't sit well in our culture, does it? What also causes offence in our culture is a misunderstanding in the world about what sin is. The idea that some of my life choices might be seen as good or bad 
that I might be judged as right or wrong. That sort of black and white thinking really is offensive today, isn't it? Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples for the fact that they too were going to suffer persecution and maybe even death. And we need to be prepared that although the opposition that we might be exposed to will be very different, it will happen. And such an important way that we need to prepare ourselves for that opposition, that persecution, is knowing who we are, which is why I've labored that so much today. The first step of being able to stand under criticism or persecution is being sure of your identity. Not just remembering who you are, remembering whose you are. You see, those things we talked about earlier, those different aspects to our identity, and even how people treat us, no matter how vile they might treat us, that doesn't define who we are. The only thing that defines you is your position in Christ. And remember, if we're going through opposition or persecution, we're not victims. We're more than conquerors. We're not on the defensive. We're actually on the offensive for him, taking ground. So knowing who we belong to, knowing that we are made in his image, that we're chosen to be his before the creation of the world, and that we are adopted into his family as his beloved children brings confidence. And it's confidence that people will notice. Not long ago, someone at work asked me where I get my confidence from. What a great opportunity to talk about the importance of a living faith, of knowing who you are. You see, unlike those cameras awkwardly masquerading as wild animals and shuffling through the undergrowth, we're not called to be undercover. We're called to be different, and we are called to be seen to be different. And by doing that, we're called to make a difference. And that's the amazing thing that we get to do out there in the world. We get to be Jesus in the world. After Jesus' resurrection, he said this to his disciples. Um, This is from John 20, 21 to 22. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus has sent us into the world. What this verse says is, as God sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. What God sent Jesus to do, Jesus sends us to do. And what did God send Jesus to do? Well, Jesus explained his mission by quoting the prophet Joel, didn't he? Luke 4, 18 to 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. 
So if you are any doubt as to what you are here on earth to do, this is it. Look no further. Wherever you find yourself, whatever your age, whatever you feel your physical or emotional limitations are, this is what you're called to do. To bring good news, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim God's favour. To share that amazing message that he doesn't want anyone to miss out on being part of his family. And that's why it's important we demonstrate the power of the gospel in our words and in our deeds. And to be honest, I said earlier that we are on the offensive for God, which is true. But to be honest, the gospel doesn't need any help from us to offend. What I mean is, we shouldn't be looking to find fault with the world or those around us. We should be doing what this passage says and be showing the grace, love and power of Jesus to them. Over the years, I think that Christians and the church have been more famous for what they stand against than for what they stand for. Is that true of us? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should compromise and ignore sin. What I'm saying is we're in the world and the world has very different priorities and very different beliefs. In other words, the world plays by different rules. So when we're at work or with friends or wherever we find ourselves, how do we best bear up under opposition and point people to God? It's by demonstrating the sacrificial love of Jesus to those around us. Not by always finding fault. Jesus knew that sending his disciples, sending us into the world, was sending us into enemy territory. And just like Jesus, at one time or another, we're all going to face opposition. That's why it's not enough to expect opposition. We need to be equipped to deal with it as well. And that's why we need to use the ultimate gift that he's given us. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised his disciples that when he returned to heaven, he wouldn't leave them on their own. Verse 26 of our passage today says, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. You see, Jesus knew that there was absolutely no point in sending his disciples, in sending us into the world without equipping us with his Holy Spirit. In fact, that passage we read after Jesus' resurrection in John 20 in that passage, the two are inextricably linked, aren't they? Let's look at that again. John 20, 21 to 22. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot do the one without the other. So, we need to be led by him. We need to be guided by him. We need to know the power that is ours in him. 
We cannot and we should not try to live this life on our own. Yes, Jesus faced opposition, he faced persecution, and he faced death, didn't he? But he changed the world forever. His actions reverberate eternally. He brings life and hope for billions of people. And that's what we're called to do as well. Bring life and hope to this world. John 14, 12 to 14 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done. And even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus promises that when we're filled with the power of his spirit, we will accomplish great things for him. He promises that our words and actions will bring life and will bring hope and will help others move from darkness to light, from death to life. So being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't an optional extra. He's very much part of the package. And he's necessary for us to realize that promise of breakthrough that Jesus makes. That promise of transformation through what we get to share with others. I've got a summary slide. This is everything we need to know, I think. Plus the next one. Jesus sets us apart from the world. He sets us apart from the world so we can be sent into the world. So that we can do exactly what Jesus did. Jesus promised that we will do great things in his name. But he also warned us of opposition. Not just so that we'll stand strong, but through that opposition and through standing strong, that we will point many to him. And how do we do that? We're coming full circle by knowing who we are, by knowing that we are his children, by knowing that you are his child, and by living in the good of that, by living in the God of who you are, living in the good of who you are, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I invite the band up, please? I think it's right that we respond. We need to get who we are. We need to understand that we're his children. And that he loves us. And we need to live in the good of that. Can I ask you to stand, if you're able to, please? Dear Lord, thank you that you've made it so clear who we are. Thank you that you've given us passage after passage in your word that speaks of who you are and who we are. 
And Lord, sorry that sometimes we're blinded to that. The world blinds us to who we are. And so, Father God, I pray that every heart here would undergo a transformation today. That by the power of your spirit, we would all know who we are in you. That you would transfer that knowledge, Lord, from head to heart. That we would know that we have a father who loves us. A father who has written every day in his book. A father who sustains the very universe. Lord, do that, we pray. Transform our hearts. Lift our heads. Give us that confidence, Lord, that knowing who we are brings. That we don't need to be shy. We get to bring your goodness and your light into every situation. And Lord, we thank you that we get to do that. And Lord, we're sorry for the times when we haven't. We're sorry for the times when we've not spoken up when we know we should have done. And we thank you, Lord, that there is grace to go again. Thank you that there's no condemnation in you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be undercover Christians. And Lord, I pray for those who are facing real opposition in their families, in their workplace, Lord. I pray that we would stand strong and show your sacrificial love, Lord. Bring your peace, I pray, Lord. Bring your encouragement that's grounded in our identity. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.